for questions. Uh, feel free to bring up anything that maybe stands out, anything that maybe was unclear that you want clarification on. Yeah, right here. Start there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so there, it's not quite clear what the Hebrew word there for virgin is. We know what it means in Matthew one, right? We actually have a description of Mary's um, conception. Uh, the Hebrew word in Isaiah seven fourteen is not the usual word for virgin, so it may not mean virgin. It may mean virgin. If it is virgin, then yes, there is some sort of virgin birth. Uh, that happened uh, that Ahaz would have known about. Um, so, you, you know, you've got to understand what was happening then, then uh, for them as those first readers and hearers and people who are actually being addressed. So in Isaiah 7, Ahaz is being addressed. Um, God says, why don't you ask me for a sign? He says, no thanks, I don't need a sign. And God says, yeah, I'll give you a sign. You need a sign. And so the sign is a son um, born of probably a virgin or possibly a virgin. And maybe he's literally named Emmanuel. Uh, maybe it's figurative for this son proves that God is with us. Uh, so if we didn't have Matthew telling us, that, you see that? This Jesus fulfilled that. Uh, we, we wouldn't know that. Um, we may not conclude that, but we do have Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit telling us that this ultimately was about Jesus. It, it's almost like this, that God's word conditions us with certain reflexes and instincts at various times. And so there's this thing of, uh, in times of doubt, God seems to send miraculous sons along uh, that prove he's at work and doing something new. So um, Jacob would be one. Isaac would be one. Jacob would be another. Samson would be one. Samuel would be another. These are almost like miraculous births that show God is up to something um, by virtue of this son. And then the ultimate version of that is Jesus. There isn't much. No, that's... That's why you don't hear much about it. We don't actually know who this son was, but apparently it was enough for Ahaz to be able to take it as a sign that God was at work. Ron, anything to add to that? Um, no. So I'd say the same thing. We don't know that it was a, a virgin birth, a miraculous birth. May have been. We just don't know that. And one of the, there's got to be something special or miraculous about, about it. So one of the thoughts is that the main thing was before that child reaches a certain age, the threat of Assyria will be taken care of. And the understanding is no one would have believed that. Uh, um, Judah was too weak and the, the opposing force is too strong. So there's something prophetic and breaking natural laws going on in God's intervention. We don't know what it was. Um, go ahead. You have see. Okay.
Um, really good question. I think I would say what maybe some of our staff that are trained in biblical counseling would say, and that is that just the, the word and the concept of hope is huge. It's massive. You just can't leave that out. And I'll sometimes forget that and leave it out, meaning that when I talk to somebody, um, obviously when somebody's going through a crisis, we don't play God, right? We don't say, well, I know why this is happening. It's to teach you this, or I know exactly why this is happening. It's to help you minister to somebody else down the road that's going through cancer. That may be what God is up to, but that could be just one small part of God's sovereign plan. I can't pretend to know those things, right? But I can point them to the scriptures to listen to God's voice and to gain hope that no matter how tragic things look right now or how maybe short that person's life or the loved one's life might look, that God has given us these promises, he's given us this hope, uh, it's for sure if you trust in Christ. Um, and, and like the Psalms say in more than one place, this life we live is like a breath, like a vapor, like a mist that just comes and goes uh, for a short amount of time. So it's mostly the hope that I would focus on, God's salvation, the new heavens and the new earth. Um, remember that we're not, when we die as believers, we're not just like ethereal spirits in some white mist or cloud, right? We believe in the resurrection of the body and we believe in new heavens and a new earth. If we focus too much, like we've talked about this morning, on the event, to borrow your term, Asher, then we're gonna miss the point. But we also don't wanna to go to the other extreme and say, okay, there's nothing real or physical. Again, we're just souls floating around in the universe somewhere. No, you look at Revelation and you've got a new Jerusalem, new heavens, a new earth, the tree of life comes back and we'll corporately worship the Lamb of God, and we'll see and experience and have sensory perception just on some kind of a completely different level. So I'll stop there, but it's a long way of saying I'd focus on what the prophets look forward to, which is hope. Well, you definitely have some promises um, that, let's take Genesis 3.15, in the seed of the woman will be def the defeat of Satan. That's Jesus. There aren't a whole lot of, um, you know, hits on the pond, skipping the stone before that. I mean, he's the one that was talking about. Um, but but there are, I would say the vast majority of Old Testament promises about let's say one to come, had multi-layers. So, you know, maybe the big, biggest example would be uh, the promises given for David's son or sons, right? How are David's sons gonna have um, an eternal throne? Well, an eternal son eventually is gonna come along and he's gonna sit on David's throne forever and ever. Um, so, 
I'd also say, though, that even if there are immediate fulfillments, oftentimes the language is so big that it, you almost anticipate that this has to be someone more than just the person being talked about. So Isaiah 9, uh, a child will be born in Bethlehem, um, and he'll be wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Whoa, wait a minute. Whoever that refers to in an, an immediate level, um, it can't refer to that person on the ultimate and fullest level. Too much is said there. Or even um, Isaiah 7, that this son will mean God with us. Jesus means God with us on a whole different level than Ahaz's son ever did. So it, it, it seems like there's this pattern of um, promise where it, this is a promise that's useful for people in that immediate generation, and yet the language is used in such a way that it's, it's bigger than that possible, than that immediate fulfillment could ever be. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we should always be looking for multi-layer fulfillment with Jesus as the culmination. Um, that's how the New Testament you know, reads those promises. They, they are not shy about getting to Jesus. Um, so we shouldn't, but we also shouldn't just think that the Old Testament is just a bunch of predictions about Jesus. I'll take a stab at it first. Um, if you're premillennial, then you're going to see a silver age before a golden age. Um, that makes sense. There's, you're going to say that there are certain things here that are referring to the millennium, not the new heaven and new earth. Um, if you're an amillennial, amillennialist, then you're going to say um, those things, whether it looks like a silver age or a golden age, and uh, they would maybe better be referred to as now and not yet. So again, multi-layers, where you'd say, uh, let's say, uh, you know, Isaiah's prophecy about one day there being so much peace that, um, you know, a boy will play in the den of a cobra. Um, there's a sense in which that's true now, because if you read Ephesians 2 and 3, the peace that is now shared among God's people, whether Jew or Gentile, is unparalleled and unthinkable. So it could have been in that scenario of Isaiah's prophecy. It'll be like a boy playing with a cobra. It'll be like Jews and Gentiles in the same church together. Um, and yet, there's another layer. So the not yet is in the new heaven and new earth. There is unthinkable peace and even creational transformation so that, you know, um, natural enemies lay down together and are at perfect peace with one another. So the, the question is whether you think that there's going to be a millennium on earth, which is a silver age, that's called premillennialism. You're going to see some things in the, the prophets that look like that silver age, not the golden age. And if you're amillennial, then you just see uh, now and not yet church and new heaven new earth can you re-ask your question not restate it but re-ask it 
Yeah. You want to go next? <laughs> you can go, man. All right. You, you got to go third then. Yeah, I'll clean it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're the closer, <laughs> Mr. Baseball. Um, I'll kind of continue talking about what Ryan talked about. So, um, and maybe what I mentioned a few minutes ago. So maybe think of, in my mind, prophetic imagery. Uh, I, I might talk more about all prophets than just minor prophets. And think of it as avoiding two ruts on each side of the road. One rut is being too literal. One rut is being too symbolic. So I mentioned this, the rut of being too symbolic, right? There's nothing real, no sensory perception. We're just souls floating around. Uh, to me, and I know we'll have some premillennialists in this room for sure, so I won't broad brush all of premillennialists, but some authors that are premillennial will be too, I think, literal in that silver age Ryan talked about. So they'll say... Uh, there's going to be a real temple, and there's going to be real sacrifices, because Ezekiel talks about this. So whenever you read something, it's going to happen in matter and space. And you almost don't question that. It's just going to happen. So one reason why all millennials just question that, um, of many reasons, would be, to give you an example, Acts 15. Council at Jerusalem has somebody saying under inspiration that, here's part of your minor prophets, that what God said through or to Amos in chapter 9, verse 11, God says, I will raise up the fallen booth of David. The start of the fulfillment of that is in what we call the church age, is with Christ and his body, the church. So in Acts, in no way are those guys thinking, okay, this is canvas or animal skins, and, and we're starting to do that. We're going to create a tent of David here in Jerusalem, uh, because that's what Ezekiel prophesied, and we're seeing the fulfillment. And Amos talked about it too. God talked about it. We're going to fulfill it. There's nothing literal going on. Um, so maybe think of, think of my story of the cat and dog in Guatemala. I probably shouldn't have told you at the end. I just made it up because you'd know that, right? I had a dog speaking to me. So in a way, I kind of wrecked the story. I'm not a good storyteller. But that story, without me even saying that, you'd know that that's either all symbolic or it's literal dash symbolic. What could be literal about it? Maybe I was really there. Maybe I really saw a dog chase a cat trying to kill the cat. Maybe I saw them tip over stalls, and the part I made up was the dog talking, because I'm pretending that I can read the dog's mind, and that there's an illustration there that's very real, I'm not making it up, that we can all draw from this dog and cat interaction. So when it comes to raising up the fallen booth of David, I'm saying we ask ourselves, is that symbolic or is that literal dash symbolic? But we need to avoid that rut of being literal. And in some, again, I want broad rush, in some uh, premillennial authors or dispensationalist authors, I see the car getting stuck in that rut of being too literal. Um, saying there's nothing literal, no sensory perception. Um, there's no city, there are no, there's no tree of life. We're like, 
The tree of life is only symbolic. We won't see any kind of tree in any sense in the new heavens and the new earth. This is all symbolic. So we can go too far in that extreme too. Um, I love the way C.S. Lewis uh, expressed this in The Last Battle. So if you remember, you've got the children, and in the last book, they're actually leaving Narnia. Narnia has been a place they've fallen in love with, even with all its evil and wickedness. So they're actually, like, I don't think we'll have sad hearts when we leave this earth, and God gives us the new heavens and the new earth. So not an exact parallel, but the children's hearts are sad because they're leaving Narnia. I think they're sad because they're thinking we're going to go into some ethereal world of Aslan that doesn't have any sensory perception or heightened or different levels, some you know, final skip of the rock that's massive that we can't even imagine in terms of senses. Uh, and when they enter into the new Narnia, parallel being new heavens and new earth, all of a sudden they start seeing things and their favorite things from the old Narnia are still there on a whole different level. And it's a really cool, I love reading that. Because uh, the older I get, the more I think, man, I'm over, over half my life is over. I don't have that many decades left to live. And your human nature, at least with me, begins to have a little bit of fear. Even though I have hope in Christ and confidence in him, I just think, what's that going to be like? And then I think of what the minor and major prophets talk about, what Christ promised himself. Uh, and then sometimes I think of Lewis's book, too. And I think, you know, I can just trust in God. It's going to be amazing. That final skip of the rock is going to be a tidal wave. And there's going to be so much joy involved. And what the prophets say helped to, in really significant ways, to reduce that, that human, that doubt, that fear that comes up. Apart from end time categories, I think I would just encourage this. To read your Bible with progression in mind... Um, and at least question God working backwards. So if sacrifices were literal in the Old Covenant, and now sacrifice language is either referred to as what Jesus did in the cross or how we serve him with our everyday lives. Romans 12 uses a lot of sacrifice language for my body and what I do with it and my... Um, my, my consecration to the Lord. Uh, so it seems like those Old Testament sacrifices were going in that direction and have landed on Christ's sacrifice, my daily sacrifice. Uh, can I imagine a time when it's going to go back to animal sacrifices? Well, if that's what you think Scripture says, then stick to it, I guess. But I would just, I'd encourage questioning um, progression going a certain degree, and then going backwards. Um, or, you know, temple language. Uh, you've got an Old Testament temple. It's a physical building. Uh, but then Jesus comes and says that he's the temple, um, and then he teaches that we will be his temples as the Holy Spirit indwells us. Uh, and then we have Revelation talking about um, the new heaven and new earth being like a temple. So those are some arrows that I can draw. Um, is it possible that there's going to be some sort of physical temple somewhere in the midst of all this? I suppose it's possible if that's what you think Scripture says. But again, I would just question the working backwards of things that are clearly pointing forward or have already progressed from what they were. Does that make sense?
Raise any other questions? <laughs> Dan, let's do uh, maybe one more question, then we'll, we'll be done. Yeah, so Ezekiel has this vision of a temple that isn't literal and physical because it sort of defies um, laws of physics. Um, you know, people in the Old Covenant would go to the temple. Ezekiel's temple has water going in all directions from the temple, um, like it's, it's blessing the nations. The temple's now going out instead of people going in. That's a, that's a different kind of temple. Um, and, and so... Is that happening now? Yeah. When Jesus comes and says, out of you will flow rivers of waters, I think that's what he has in mind, Ezekiel's temple, which flowed waters. Um, waters a blessing to the nations. Uh, and yet, is there more to come? Yeah, one day there'll be this consummate, all of creation kind of temple um, where it's, it's like we live in the Holy of Holies. Um, but better than actually living in, you know, the Holy of Holies like it was in, say, Solomon's Temple or something like that. It's, it's all of creation. So I think the now and not yet is a really useful category. All right, well, how about this? How about if we end uh, with me reading Habakkuk's final words? Because, boy, they are fitting for, uh, for just about any kind of circumstance we find ourselves in. Um, especially if it's one of suffering. Uh, verse 16 of Habakkuk 3, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And here's a reminder. Here's how it ends. Here's a reminder that this is something we sing together. These are truths we sing together. Habakkuk addresses it to the choir master with stringed instruments. So let's meet back tomorrow morning to sing of God's truth, even if you find yourself, or maybe especially if you find yourself in some heartache or wrestling with mystery and you need to lean on the Lord afresh for his faithfulness. Um, we'll sing of those truths tomorrow again. Uh, Ram, would you pray briefly and close us? Father, thank you for uh, visions of things like the new heavens and the new earth. Thank you for the reassurance that this will actually happen. You are a real God. You're concrete. You're so much higher than what our minds can comprehend. Yet you revealed Christ to us, yourself to us, in God the second person. 
and we thank you for the help from your Holy Spirit, even this morning, to better understand your ways, your words, and your wisdom. May we, as Ryan said, come together tomorrow, sing and learn and rejoice in your grace. Amen.